We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Bellato. Yeah, you're right. Tonight we're coming to you at 2-0. I still can't even believe I'm saying it out loud. I, look, we all felt like the Giants could maybe do something in year one of Joe Shane, but 2-0, I don't think anyone expected this. Now they're rolling into Monday Night Football with a chance to go 3-0. We'll talk about that in a bit later, but just crazy to even say it out loud, Nick. I like how we did it last week where we kind of broke down our key, the, the, the key thing we learned, our key takeaway from the game. You can only pick one if you had to only pick one. For me, it's the coaching again, man. And I thought it was the difference again in this one. I thought we predicted it and it came true. Ben McAdoo did a really poor job as, as a play caller and an offensive schemer against the Giants today. And I think that wasn't true as Nick, I think you did a great job of breaking down last week with Todd Downing. That was more, look, <laughs> Wink's calling a great defense. Wink might be outmaneuvering him, but he's trading some punches back and forth. Todd Downing. This was just not the case of Ben McAdoo. I thought he called a terrible game with the exception of the one drive where he was able to get DJ Moore open um, and, and that touchdown and a couple couple plays in the passing game there. Once again, didn't do a good job utilizing McCaffrey, but the Giants had a great job and a great solution to taking away McCaffrey, putting Xavier McKinney on him. So kudos to the coaching there. Again, for me, Nick, it's just the coaching overall. It's the other side of the ball. So much to like when it comes to Mike Kafka's play calling, some of the key plays he made, he called in this game. But I look at it, Nick, from just like an overall 30,000-foot view, because we're going to get into all the specifics. But just from the 30,000-foot view, the overview of what Brian Dable is, and I'm just gonna not just going to say Brian Dable, because I really think it's Brian Dable's entire coaching staff, the coordinators, the Bobby Johnson, all the positional coaches. They're winning games they lost last year. Last year in week two, the Giants intercepted a pass, James Bradbury, got into Washington field goal range, and ran, ran through five yards short of the stick to kick a field goal that ultimately ended up being the lo- reason they lost the game, because the, the Washington football team then kicked the game-winning field goal on the next drive. This year... On a third down, where they could have ran the ball, they called a naked and gave three options, one being the best that Daniel Jones chose, where he made a sick cutback and showed more acceleration than he's shown in either of the two games as a runner and picked up the first down with his legs. A perfect decision and perfect execution. The stark contrast between what we saw week two last year and week two this year and the entire time with the staff is they are serious with their word, even from the Julian Love blitz call to seal the game on the defense side of the ball. They're playing to win. They're not playing to lose. They're really going at it, and the players have bought in. Why do we know this, Nick? Why do I think that this is a true point that we have learned already? Because we're not seeing stupid penalties. We're not seeing them burn timeouts. We're not seeing undisciplined plays, and we're seeing them make comebacks. We're seeing them adjust to things at halftime, make changes, and play better in the second half. All of these things are things that you do when you buy into a culture. I've always said, Nick, you know this is true with me. I believe winning cultures are built by simply winning. That's what the Giants are doing, but Part of it is by building out a process that the players can get behind. Quite clearly, the players are behind the process of being super aggressive and playing to win rather than uh, trying to eke out a game here and there, not making mistake, major mistake here. Everyone's tight. The whole locker room's tight like it was in the judge area. You're not allowed to make a mistake. They don't care if they make mistakes. Brian Dable keeps saying it. He said in his presser after the game, he said, as long as the process is good and we prepare for it, I don't care if the result, what the result is. And he's right about that because a good process will lead to good results. Not all the time, but clearly in these first two weeks, Nick. So for me, the biggest difference is clearly just 
how much this team has bought into the coaching and this style of football. Yeah, my biggest difference was going to be that culture aspect. Basically, just everybody trusting Brian Dable, Brian Dable earning the respect. There's no demanding respect here with Coach Dable. He's earned these players respect because he gives them respect on the football field. Like that naked bootleg by Daniel Jones, that's a big call, man. That's a third and six. He could throw the football there. He could run like he did for the first down. And you know what that third option was? The third option was take the sack and keep the clock moving. That's the third option. Daniel Jones, to his credit, he did not play the best game. He had some nice throws. He might have left some yards on the field, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that all week. But that was a really heady play by him. He didn't try to force anything. He saw the cut back. He saw John Feliciano running with nobody around him, and he just kind of cut back right off of Evan Neal's ass. That was a really smart play by Daniel Jones. And I just love the fact that everybody is buying into this. And you can kind of go through every position group here and come up with something, right? Because you had the offense, and the offense was not great. You had the two fumbles to start the game by Carolina. They get six points off of it. They were pretty inefficient. I still thought Kafka called a pretty good game. He tried to get creative. He tried to get cute. Sometimes that doesn't work, but I still respect the process of everything. And I love that run by Gary Brightwell. That was such a good play call, man. You use the motion, you show the motion, and then you have Saquon Barkley post-snap kind of run like a just a little fake like halfback pitch misdirection to hold the linebacker. And if you watch that play, that linebacker on that side, he went with Saquon Barkley. That's why nobody was there to, to fill the hit Gary Brightwell, dude. It's just little things like that. Stuff that we've been talking about for years, damn. Pre-snap motion here, show a little eye candy, a little smoke and mirrors. That can give you a huge difference, lead to a 14-yard run that helps you get to into field goal position to win a football game and little things like this. And it all comes down to process, man. The process of the New York Giants is correct right now. Credit where credit is due. It was incredibly heady play by Daniel Jones there. That's a game winning kind of play by him. And most importantly, to me at least, I felt like he hadn't been running with full confidence really until that play. Felt like there was just something weird in his first, you know, for example, the bootleg on fourth down from last week. It just didn't feel like the normal acceleration and speed that I'm used to from Daniel Jones. On that cutback game winner, that was the exact acceleration and speed that I'm used to. He made up, he picked up a lot of ground really fast. And that goes into an advantage he has as a runner that I've always felt he has that never showed up in like when he ran those 40 yard dashes before joining, uh, entering the NFL. It's stride length. He's got excellent stride length. He picks up ground really fast. And that was incredibly heady decision. And in my opinion, an even better run after making the decision. And so that's a key factor in this game. I also love what you said after that, Nick. And I love the point you brought up about Brightwell because you texted me right away and it was so obvious to see. That's a design play. I mean, that play is a huge chunk of what that drive was. If you look back at that drive, they weren't really, at that stage of the game, the Giants weren't really manufacturing much yardage through the air at that point. And they really needed to get the ground game going, which they ultimately stuck with. And that was a big, that was one of the bigger runs on that possession to get them into field goal range. Like you said, a little smoke and mirror, just get the direct, get all the defense's eye candy attention towards Saquon Barkley. And it's cool because the, the added benefit of that, Nick, this is what I was thinking about. Not having a fullback on the roster, well, now you can put Gary Brightwell in that H-back position. And, and when you run that play, you get a little bit more burst. And if you, I'm excited to watch that one back on All-22, Nick, because from my memory of the broadcast angle, it looks like he was actually close to breaking that for an even bigger run, which would have been super exciting. So like you said, maybe not his best game, Mike Kafka. Some people thought he got cute in the red zone early on with the Wildcat to Barkley, everything that happened there. I would debate that. I thought those were actually pretty interesting calls. The Panthers just really weren't allowing any of that to happen. Yeah, I was fine with that too. When I say cute, I just mean you're doing something different. I'm not trying to chastise it. I was fine with it. And that's kind of what you have to do, Dan, sometimes with Daniel Jones as your quarterback. You can't just always rely on him to go through like full field progressions when you're down there in the red area and everything is so confined. You have to try to manufacture offense, kind of like he did with the Daniel Bellinger touchdown. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to get into next. Besides that, you know, Cute, maybe whatever one word we're using, whatever the word is, he tried things that didn't exactly work. That's going to happen, right? We said he's facing a good defensive coordinator. They have more, they have better defensive personnel. There's going to be some times where they win the battle, but he's still in, in a week like that. Obviously, not his best week, not the best week at all for the Giants' pass offense, whatever. He still manufactures a play, like you said, the Bellinger play, where that's all designed. Like that touchdown is so freaking well designed for Bellinger to come across a formation, leak out where they know where they know at that point. And one thing I loved about that play, Nick, Kenny Galladay didn't play, and we're gonna get into this whole thing, but Kenny Galladay didn't play a lot of snaps in this game. That was one of the snaps he was on the field for. It was in the red zone. And in my mind, when you throw 
at least in the past when the Giants coaches, worse coaches than these coaches, have thrown players on the field for just like a handful of snaps and it's like the one snap, it usually can try to typically tip off that the play is designed for them, right? And as you watch that play, I mean, it looks like the, the defense is definitely accounting for Kenny Galladay as he runs through that vertical seam and takes away some defenders there and then right into the flat, it's wide open Daniel Bellinger and he just makes a great play closing on that angle Bellinger to score that touchdown. So even in a week where, you know, maybe not his best game, maybe not their best game overall as an offensive play calling unit and, and production from a production standpoint, they still have two unbelievable calls in that game that make a big difference. And if you even watch that play too, bro, like there's so many little nuances within that play that just make the defense second guess. First off, it's pistol, a little bit different, right? Then you yep. motion Richie James. And as Richie James kind of gets to the reduced spot, inside the number where Kenny Galladay is, the snap happens. Daniel Jones goes right into the mesh point. And then what happens? All those linebackers bite up. And then you have Daniel Bellinger coming from the backside as that sniffer, kind of like you would when you would just lead blocks. All the linebackers are thinking run at this point. Then you just take both those receivers, Kenny Galladay, you run a deep post to take away the safety and occupy the middle of the field player. And then you have Richie James just run a wheel that takes away the deep third. And then you have Daniel Bellinger up against that linebacker. And that linebacker is in conflict. Talk about defenders in conflict. He's in conflict because he has to make a decision. Do I step up to Daniel Jones, who has been doing solid with his legs throughout the game, or do I cover the flat? Well, he chose Daniel Jones, so Daniel Jones threw the ball to Daniel Bellinger and ended up going for six. Like that is just, there's so many little things within that play designed by Mike Kafka to confuse, manipulate, or occupy defenders. And it worked to perfection in the red zone, a place where Daniel Jones struggles sometimes. Exactly. That's the key to it. I mean, it took away getting them in a position that they were in a lot last year and then earlier in the game, like you mentioned, where they only scored six points out of it, where you have those condensed areas. Once you get inside the 10, Daniel Jones really struggling to figure it out in there, to be completely honest with the situation. I mean, look, the first drive, he only had one opportunity with the wild, with everything they tried, but there was an opportunity for Shepard there. I mean, we'll look back at it. I don't want to say this definitively. I don't want to say anything definitively about Jones on this podcast. I know Nick would probably agree the same until we see the all 22. I think that's like the fairest way to do it. There's just so much lost and so much is different once you get that angle out and you can just kind of see it a little bit better from your standpoint. And it's hard down there. You got to make quick processing decisions to get the ball out. But that play to Bellinger reduces any opportunity for the Giants to potentially bog down in the red zone as they get closer. And the, and the space is t- more tightly confined. And that is a huge edge, too, for this team because they need those types of plays. They need longer type of touchdowns. Absolutely. And you could tell both offenses went into halftime like, OK, this is what we're going to do. Because Carolina came out after the Giants went three and out and they just attacked Cordell Flott and really lined up DJ Moore on him and isolated that matchup. And then the Giants had an eight play, 75 yard drive where they converted a third nine to on a really, really good pass to Richie James, man. Like that, that's one I can't wait to see the all 22. Cause even on the broadcast, I was like, wow, that was a really good throw over the middle. It wasn't even for that, that long of a gain. It was a 15 yard gain, but Daniel Jones put it over an underneath defender, had to put touch on it and then dropped it kind of right into the basket where Richie James just slightly jumped, caught the football, and then fell with like three defenders around him. So that was a really high leverage spot that Daniel Jones came out and he rose to the occasion. And then Saquon Barkley ripped off a 10-yard run. There was a 12-yard pass to Richie James again on another first and 10. The Giants just kind of methodically drove down the field to set up that Daniel Bellinger touchdown. So you could tell that halftime adjustments definitely happened. And I'm just excited to see exactly what they were from the New York Giants side of things. But in terms of just big throws, Daniel Jones, you're right, probably left some things on the field. But he had that third and nine. He had a third and 10 conversion to Sills, I think, on the next drive or two drives after that. That was another really, really big time throw. So Daniel Jones did well when he was asked to in certain situations. Yeah, it's interesting. I I was only saying it before on that red zone drive. I think overall, Nick, I, I was thinking about this a little before we decided to record, like, I don't know that I would say there's too much he left on the field from my memory of just watching through the broadcast angle. This is why I wanted to get to that all 22. There were some spots that, from my vantage point, specifically in the second half, where he the deep over to Kadarius Tony, I thought he could have ripped that one. Just some the, the throw he threw, uh, one of them over the middle where it was thrown to four defenders. It wasn't a great spot for him, but he did have something underneath the Tanner Hudson potentially. And obviously the red zone one I referenced earlier. I and mean, you could talk about the Shepherd one. A lot of people have different opinions on that. I know he got held at the top of the route, and I know that it was thrown off because of that. But I just have, in my head, Nick, and it's, I should really be everyone's head, we've all seen quarterbacks make that throw. It's not an easy throw by any means. He's being pressured. off. The, he's trying, they're trying to push him off the spot, and the route is screwed up by the, by the timing of it. But I've still seen quarterbacks make that adjust to what happens within the route and make that throw. There's just 
pure green ahead of him with no safety over the top. So whatever, we'll go over those, we'll look at those. But like you said, he combined that with some really good decisions and really good throws as well. This is the first game we started to see some really good throws. You talked about the the, the one to, to um, Richie James, excellent throw. You also talked about the one, or you might not mention it, but the throw to David Sills on the third and 10. That was another excellent ball that he really ripped in there. Thought his velocity was excellent in this game. Um, at, at right where you need it to be. It is interesting to me, Nick, that like I don't know what they found and figured out on that drive, but they were able. J- Jones was cooking on that drive. Like that's what we want to see from Jones. That one touchdown drive that you, the one you referenced the play from, that was almost all through the air. That was almost all with his arm and with his processing and his passing. That's the kind of drive where if he can ever get those down consistently, that's when you start to be like, well, now we maybe we maybe have to rethink if we have this guy or not. Because that's what you ultimately need in the NFL, guys who can consistently put together drives. Like It doesn't have to be every drive. It's never going to be like that. Mahomes and Herbert struggle against really good defenses last Thursday. But there are going to be drives like that. And there are going to be throws like that that define a game. Um, but overall, I feel like when we look back at it, Nick, we probably might look at it like we're – and it's it'll be interesting to see because we'll have it from that you know vantage point where we can see the defense. But I think we might be more impressed than, than we are. There's still processing issues with Jones, obviously. The throw underneath that he missed the linebacker on, that, that was very close to being – pretty much a game losing pick six is I think the momentum totally shifts if he throws that ball and it's pick six with like a minute left before half in a game that only had 12 points would have been putting another seven on the board those plays you can't make those decisions like we know that like it's something in year four that everybody says you can't make those decisions but that one you really can't make and that was in my mind Nick and I'm curious to get your take on that and, and I'll cut off here but the reason that one's a little different than like let's say people like were killing Herbert for the interception he threw to um Gerald Everett in the red zone when Gerald Everett was like completely gassed and couldn't even run his route. That one is more of just, if you look at the play, the timing was completely off between Everett and Herbert and Herbert threw it to a spot where Everett was nowhere near the one Jones almost threw today. It's that underneath linebacker. It's not that he's, that's the, the issue for me is he's just not processing and understanding and seeing that linebacker. And that's with that linebacker in the place that he's in, it's a throw that you could just never make. There's no possible way you can make that decision. So those still have to be taken out of his game. Obviously I think, but overall, he did find some really good spots in this game. And I think we might be a little bit more enthused once we watch the tape. We'll see. I also like the way he manipulated the pocket on that third and 10 play to David Sills. Yes. If you remember, Evan Neal was kind of beat high side. It wasn't by Burns because the Giants did a good job in this game using a tight end to chip Burns a lot of the time. And they actually did on this one play, the third and 10 play to David Sills that I'm referencing. But Jones feels the pressure and he steps to his left. He steps to his left and he just rifles this ball with someone right at his feet. And it goes right over that underneath player. So that's two throws on that drive where he pinpointed and put just enough touch over the top of an underneath defender, whether that be a safety or a linebacker, to convert on third down. I mean, that's that is big boy stuff. It's just there were other elements of the game where it was very not so big boy stuff. Yeah, I mean, that that's the key to it. You said it right there. Those two throws are really, really, really big boy throws, good throws. What me and Nick expect and want out of the quarterback position is dozens of those in a game. You know, we want dozens because that's ultimately that's how it's done. You watch Josh Allen. He makes maybe dozens is a little too much for one game. Let's start with maybe a handful and then some a handful and change of those kinds of throws in a game. Once you get up to a handful and change of those. Maybe some sometimes these quarterbacks go off for more. That's when you're really changing the game because those are all the most of the explosive plays are generated from the big throws in the NFL, just in general. That's just how it goes. But, you know, that could come with time, too. Like you said, things that I like to see in this game. Great. I don't want to say it was great at all times. In the first half at times, Nick, it did look like he was not settled in a little bit uncomfortable there. But in the second half, Jones looked like a much more comfortable quarterback in the pocket for sure. It was the plays you mentioned. It was also the play that got called back by what I think was a really bogus offensive pass interference call. And that was the first half, but just the play I'm remembering through, a really bogus pass offensive pass interference call. To me, in my opinion, it's pretty much a natural pick. It doesn't even really look like he's trying to set the pick. It just looks like he runs into the guy. Um, he's even in some ways sales on that looking back to the quarterback. I don't know. They called it a penalty. I don't think it was. But Jones did a great job manipulating the pocket there, stepping up through the muck, and then throwing a pretty damn good ball from an off-balance platform. I thought in this game, and I'm curious to see the tape on this one, Nick, Jones did a better job than I'm used to with him of throwing off-platform. Yeah, it seemed like it. That play in particular is the one that really comes to mind, but I'm excited to get into this offensive tape. I mean, yes, because it wasn't successful early on. It was pretty damn ugly. Like I said at the top of the show, man, you were gifted two fumbles yes. by the Carolina Panthers. You got six points off it. That is not good. 
Like that is unacceptable. That is something that should have came back and bit them in the ass. And it almost did. But the Giants still found a way to win this football game. But I'm going to be paying attention to Jones in the pocket. I will be paying attention to those off-platform throws. But again, man, something else about this game, and I've seen people talking about this on Twitter, this is a game that Giants lose 10 times out of 10 last year, 10 times out of 10 in 2020. These close games where you make mistakes, you're not resilient enough to overcome them. But the Giants found a way to win. That says something about, like we said at the top of the show, just the coaching and the culture. And this is a young team too, man. Like there's a couple key leaders here and there. Your biggest defensive leader left the game with a knee injury in Leonard Williams. And you were still able to come up huge with a third and six sack. Like I couldn't speak higher of the defense, but the, the team overall, man, the way they're able to win in these situations, even though it's not against a great football team, says something about what the Giants are building. A hundred percent, dude, because we've known that like, We've been through this so many times in the last couple of years and even before that with the Shermer regime. We're like, we're in these games, it's at the end, and we're just expecting to lose the game because we've seen it happen too many times. And it kept happening over and over and over again to an insane degree where it was just like a consistent flow of these same types of losses with maybe one or two sprinkled in as wins if I'm if lucky. And now they're all, so far at least, two games in. I shouldn't say they're all. The pair of games we've played, the Giants have actually pulled through in these. And one thing I noticed in this game because like you mentioned, a big factor in this game, like if I had to say the biggest factor in this game, I, earlier I said the biggest thing I learned, the biggest takeaway for me is just the difference in coaching. But the biggest specific factor for this game to me, Nick, was Wink Martindale and was his defense. Because it's not just Wink. Wink is, let's be honest, he's calling a great game. He's scheming up great defense. He knows what he's doing. The dude had Xavier McKinney taking Christian McCaffrey out of the passing game. That's genius. That's exactly, it's second week in a row. He made it a, an important key for him and this team to stop the to stop the key weapon, the key thing you have to worry about. Last week it was Henry, this week it was McCaffrey. Succeeded. Yes, McCaffrey had the one long run, which we'll get to. It's gonna happen. It was one long run. It's gonna, he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. It's gonna happen. I'm not worried about that kind of thing. Derrick Henry didn't even get that off, but that's okay. But as you watch this wing defense over and over, Nick, what do I keep seeing? What do we keep seeing? Players rallying to the ball, players playing with incredible amount of energy. And it's not to say this wasn't the case with Graham. I just think the style of the defense brings out more energy in these players. I really do. When you're aggressive on defense and you make those kinds of calls in key spots like he did with Julian Love, that invigorates a defense. It gets them to want to rally to the ball. And you could see it with Adoree Jackson, who, again, played an incredible game. No one even looks his way. He's awesome now in run support. He's one of the best players they have on this defense. But outside of him, they were really shorthanded today. They lost Leonard Williams in game. Knock on wood, dude, and thank God I saw I didn't even see this till later, Nick, which scared the hell out of me. I was thinking about it all night. And finally, I saw the Deanna Rossini tweet, which was like, Leonard said he should probably be all right. I mean, D Dable didn't offer much. We'll see what happens. He's the, t the Thibodeau injury's been lingering. Whatever. But at least it's not what we originally feared there. But they lost Williams in game. They didn't have Aaron Robinson in this game. They didn't have Thibodeau. They didn't have Aziz Ojolari. And they still figured out a way to, in my mind, completely shut down Baker Mayfield. He had that one good drive, like you talked about, where he had a couple good passes to Moore, a couple other decent throws throughout the game. But in this game, if you ask me, Nick, considering what Baker Mayfield was facing, both teams have offensive line problems. But the Panthers have a lot better personnel on defense right now than the Giants do, to be completely honest, at least with the injuries the Giants have. And Daniel Jones completely outplayed Baker Mayfield in this game, in my opinion. Baker Mayfield struggled when the Giants blitzed him, when they probably got pressure. They batted balls to the line of scrimmage. His ball placement wasn't really that great at any point. He did nothing with his legs versus Daniel Jones, who had a probably equal amount of big-time throws in my mind as Baker, maybe one less, maybe one fewer. A lot more big-time plays with his, with his legs, a lot more heady decisions, didn't get balls batted at the line of scrimmage. And so overall, I feel like watching this game, the Giants had the quarterback edge, which, I, which hasn't happened in a long time, I feel like, on the football field. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. Actually, mountain spring water from the Alps. And it's called Liquid Death. You may see your coworkers cracking these open at the 9 a.m. stand-up meeting. But again, not beer. They're just parched, dehydrated, or just downright thirsty. And they're drinking the new mountain spring water brand called Liquid Death. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. So go to liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE if you want to try this tasty new Liquid Death. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. And the Giants also have a huge defensive coordinator edge. Yes. Wink Martindale is a much better defensive coordinator than Phil Snow. We've spoken highly of Phil Snow specifically last year, but there are rumors going around that like mm-hmm. that that whole situation is in turmoil. The whole right staff now. is a disaster with Matt Rule. It, it's it's an absolute disaster. I'm going to be shocked if they make it through the season. It's that bad, especially now that they started 0-2 in two winnable matchups against the How Browns. How about Ben McAdoo today, Nick? <laughs> what was that? With, with what? Just his overall game plan? Everything, or, or... dude. Like, how do you not attack? How is that your offense for a team that just lost their cornerback to and was playing a rookie third-round pick there, lost Leonard Williams in-game, doesn't have pretty much anything but a, a Shane on the edge, doesn't really have linebackers. Like, how is that the offensive output? To me, that was just unbelievably bad for McAdoo. He didn't really do anything interesting, I felt like, the entire game. Relied on the same things he always relied on. Tried a ton of quick game. It just felt like it wasn't there for I just felt like he was getting out schemed, which is something that anybody yeah. could have predicked. You know what I mean? Like like <laughs> Ben know, McAdoo crazy, against Luke Martindale. And you brought up the matchup between Xavier McKinney and Christian McCaffrey. That was awesome. You know, that's one way you can eliminate a player like Christian McCaffrey. Mono we mono, put your best guy against his. But that even it even goes deeper than that, Dan. Like the third and sixth sack to ostensibly end the game, essentially. Xavier McKinney was lined up on the line of scrimmage. How many times did we see Xavier McKinney blitz in this game? Quite yeah. a bit, right? So they align him on the line of scrimmage with Tony Jefferson and Julian Love on the line of scrimmage to the other side, to the field side. So what does that tell the New York Giants? Because this has happened several times. Christian McCaffrey is going to take Xavier McKinney if he comes. That's exactly what happens. And then basically they schemed up, and it wasn't even a numbers advantage to Ikemi Kwanu's side, but pre-snap there were just so many people. There were seven guys on the line of scrimmage showing like they were going to blitz on that third and six. And then O'Shane Zimenez and Jahad Ward drop off. And then what happens? Because nobody knows who the hell is coming, there's a miscommunication. Iquano is late to close the B-gap, and Julian Love goes untouched as the field side guard and the center take on Tony Jefferson. Three safeties up at the line of scrimmage. Christian McCaffrey taken out by Xavier McKinney in terms of just where the protection is going to be. All it takes is one miscommunication. And that's exactly what happened. Miscommunication. Ikem Iquano is a bit slow. Sack New York Giants. Like, Little things like aligning a lot of these players in certain spots pre-snap, doing things with them post-snap, doing that throughout the entire game. 
And then in a high leverage situation, it comes through for you because not even just your players rising to the occasion, but the scheme. Like you're you're getting huge plays because of your defensive coordinator, these huge sacks, because of what he's doing to scheme him up. And what do you think that does to the players, Dan? They love it, man. They're so freaking confident because of that. They buy into this system because this system gets them stats that will end up getting them paid. You know what I mean? Like it's a... It's a it's a great thing, man. It's something that I feel like we haven't had in a while. I love Patrick Graham, but this is this is just different. And look, we're not me and Nick are not, or I'm at least not sitting here. I don't want to speak for you ever on this, Nick, but sitting here and saying, I think it's going to be all roses all year. There's going to be no. quarterbacks who are going to really make wink pay. Let's be ready for it. Let's be honest about it. Baker Mayfield's certainly not one of them. Tannehill at times did, but not often enough. But when they get to some of these quarterbacks, and the good news is they really don't have to play too many of the great ones this year, which is awesome. But when they get to some of these quarterbacks, there's gonna be there's gonna be moments that we're like, all right, a little all right, all right, enough. We get it already, Wink, it's not working. But that's okay. He's gonna stay with it because they believe in they believe in the system. They believe in more importantly, the philosophy. Be aggressive. Try to put the quarterback in tough spots. And I feel like in this game they did an excellent job of doing that, like you said, Nick. And it made a big it made a bit like as you broke down on that play, that's coaching played a huge role on that, right? The players play, they got the sack, everyone had to execute as they did. But the way that he aligned that play and the, and the entire play call did kind of create that moment and that sack and that big play. And I just feel like overall, we continue to see the steady drumbeat. Like last year, I felt like it was almost like a broken record with the things we said. This year has been the opposite kind of broken record, whatever the, the complete <laughs> opposite of a broken record is. or It's still the same broken record, but now it's of good things, right? Like Giants win the coaching battle. Again, the Giants don't have any stupid plays where they have to call timeout because they're not set on offense. The Giants don't have a stupid penalty in a bad spot. All of these things that continue to happen now are the opposite of what happened last year, and that underlines to me the difference in coaching. Like I listened to Brian Dable's presser, Nick. This really stood out to me. He talked about how he was getting on the offense early because he felt like they were doing a poor job of getting the call in and breaking the huddle faster. And he's like, everything is set for this. And I've always kind of felt like he's right. Like, Coaches don't talk about this a lot, but he's like getting set early is so important on offense because if you can't do that, he was saying you can't do anything on offense. And how many times last year, Nick, did we watch the Giants burn a timeout because they weren't set or take a false star or not be able to, as as Jason Garrett said, quote unquote, like run motion or whatever, run the offense he wants or have the defense timing the snap and, and getting quick sacks on Jones. We're not seeing those dumb penalties. We're not seeing those dumb burn timeouts. And I think part of that is just a little detail like that from Brian Dable. In game, he coaches his players, says, I don't like how I see this is going. I feel like we're going to, in his head, he's probably like, I feel like this could lead to a stupid timeout I have to call or a penalty. And he gets it fixed and he gets, you know, he gets across to these players what he's trying to convey. It happened all the time last year and it was very frustrating. We called Joe Judge out for it, but in terms of Brian Dable, we haven't seen it through two games. I mean, it's it's night and day what we're seeing. And we literally watched Joe Judge take a knee on a third down <laughs> and punt the football when they were backed up because in the previous week they threw a pick six in that same situation because there was no faith in his players. And I understood. And I understood not having faith in those players. You got Jake Fromm out there. Like I understood. But at the same time, what does that say to your players, man? Like, you know, what does that say to your players? It tells them, I don't freaking trust you. And then what is that going to do? It's going to devalue your overall message, especially in such a spiraling losing season like the 2021 New York Giants. And now you get Brian Dable coming here. Similar players, right? A lot of the roster is still, still somewhat the same. And these guys are bought in hook, line, and sinker because when everything was on the line in week one, you went for two and you got it. And then Carolina and you won a close, sloppy, gritty type of game. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it. And even to further your point from from before, Nick, the two biggest plays of this game, what do the Giants do on both sides of the ball? On defense, they've called an insanely aggressive call to, to get the blitz and to get home to Baker Mayfield and to pressure him and put him off his spot and get him uncomfortable. And on offense, instead of curling up into a ball and running the ball up the middle or throwing some kind of dumb inbreaker that has no chance to get past the sticks, they ran the boot, they ran the naked, they gave Jones the option, and he made an excellent decision, cut back, and showed again, showed off that acceleration to pick up the first down. Both times they went for the win. Both times they coached a win in both key spots. It's the big difference for me here overall, the Giants. And, you know, we talk it, to me, it's a little bit like music to my ears, Nick, because we talked about this all last year when the Giants were losing games. And it was easy to say, like, oh, that's just hindsight. If the Giants were winning these games by coaching this way, you guys wouldn't be saying this or it wouldn't be valid. That's just hindsight. 
But this speaks to the process because the process has been played out differently this year. They're coaching to try to win these games. And so far, they have two wins and zero losses versus last year when they didn't win any of those games. They made a 1-1. I'm trying to think back. I don't have the greatest memory of this now, Nick. But like trying to think back, did they ever win with their scared coaching strategy? I'm sure there were some games they grinded out and like got lucky to win. The Raiders game, like th- those games they grinded to a, to a halt and pulled through. The Eagles one where Hurts like missed, <laughs> where Rager dropped an open Hurts touch basically game-winning touchdown pass two of them great like yeah good job by you giants you coach scared and you got lucky that they dropped the ball but like this year they're putting it in their own hands that's the key here they're taking it in their own hands and giving it to their players saying you you have an opportunity here jones if you want to cut back and run go for that shit (laughs) you know excuse my language you have an opportunity here, to get in get this sack end this game on defense so Man, it was just awesome to see. Let's get into some other stuff, some individual players that I thought stood out. I want to talk to you about O'Shane Ziminens. Man, this kid, like he was at one point before the offseason ruled as like, oh, this is a Robert roster bubble guy, right? He was drafted by their previous regime, hasn't shown much as a run defender, hasn't shown much in general. Now at this point, he's playing one of the most key roles the Giants have right now due to their injury situation. They have two key hogs they expected on the edge, Aziz Ojolari, Kevon Thibodeau. They can't, they haven't been able to play. And so step right in, Oshane Examinens has a big time sack in this game. And overall, just looked so good out there. It was all over the place. It looks like this is a clear player who took a big step this year. And we always talk about this, and I want to hammer it home. Again, progression is not always linear. Sometimes some there are examples like this where the right coaching staff gets in place and the right coaches, both his positional coaches and Wink Farndale, put him in put a player in a position where they can take a major leap and do something they haven't shown really with any kind of consistency at any point in their career because it all clicks. And it feels to me like it's really all starting to click. And that may give the Giants an option of when everyone's healthy, three really three pretty good solid options at edge. Just in terms of rushing the passer, too, because you have Jahad Ward, who is like a stout run defender, man. He this guy doesn't get right now defense ward. Dude, he, he he doesn't get moved out there, man. He's living up to the whatever contract that he signed yeah. over here. And on that play, man, that O'Shane got the sack against Iki Iquanu, like he falls down on that play. That's another just tough play where he yep. gets back up and finishes the sack. And that's really facilitated. That play was created by Leonard yeah, Williams. Yep. Leonard Williams took Austin Corbett and put him on freaking ice skates <laughs> like he's about to show up to his new hockey team with Michelob Ultra, bro. Like he literally <laughs> put this dude on he ice didn't skates. Show up with the Michelob Ultra, did you? The game, the game didn't happen yet. Okay, so, right, so you, still, you still have opportunity to show I up still, with something else. I still have opportunity to show up with an even more embarrassing beard, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. But Leonard Williams literally just put this guy backwards, bro. That was such a, a strong play. And Austin Corbett's not a slouch. This guy no. was a starter on the Super Bowl winning Rams last year. But Zimenez, man, he falls and you can easily against a player like even Iki Aquano, when you lose the rep, like he can bury you, you know, but he, Zimenez did a good job kind of pulling his jersey downward to get his momentum off kilter and then just shot around the edge to finish that sack off. And that's just like one of those other plays that you don't talk about that much, but it's just so detrimental to Carolina's offense. And Carolina is not the type of offense that can overcome detrimental plays. I mean, they were shooting themselves in the foot too, not to sit here and call the New York Giants lucky, but they had the drop pass from Shai Smith. There was the one like third and two where Baker Mayfield had Shai Smith wide open because the Giants legit hit under leverage when if you were playing Madden they hit under leverage and everybody just shut down the move the pocket play to DJ Moore and everybody Shy Smith was wide open Baker Mayfield missed it but that's what bad football teams do bro they miss easy plays like that they drop simple passes and the Giants were there to capitalize freaking finally because last year you know they wouldn't have yeah exactly and I also feel like to me there like there's two stories to it I, I definitely want to talk to you about this I forgot because to me there's also the story of look the Giants only scored that six points, like you said, in those first two red zone gifted red zone possessions. And then, you know, another field goal after that and then missed the shepherd potential touchdown, which, again, a lot of people will. I want to see the tape before I try to assess what happened there. But I have seen that play made even after the route was dis, was dismantled again by the, the hole or whatever it was called. But that could have been a touchdown, too. There were a few other plays the Giants left on the field for sure. To me, there was a chance the Giants could have really blown this thing out. Like, I think the Giants are really steadily improving, like. Look, we took us. We we looked at this at the beginning of the year. Like this is year one of Joe Shane, Brian Dable, Wink Martindale, and all positional coaches on a roster where they had basically nothing to work with from a financial standpoint. Right? They were able to sign Mark Lewinsky, thank God, because they were just like Jesus Christ. This interior offensive line is such an absolute disaster from left guard straight through to right guard. We need at least something there. I, I don't even care what it's going to do to our finance. Shane's like, uh, look, I wanted to clean this thing out, but I'll do one. I'll do one signing. 
But besides that, they haven't been able to do anything. And they even had to lose key players. They had to cut James Bradbury due to cap situation. They have a player on the roster right now, Kenny Galladay, who's making a, a ton of money against the cap and not even playing football, which we'll get he to played that. two snaps, bro. Yeah, which we'll get to, by the way, the, that whole discussion. I want to talk about that. But the fact of the matter is, this wasn't supposed to happen this fast. Like, Giants 2-0. That, they were supposed to lose at least one of these games, maybe even two, and it would have been okay because they have no depth on the roster. Gettleman didn't really leave them with much, and the finances were all screwed up. But they found, like you said, found ways to win. Let's talk about the Galladay situation. It's actually a decent segue into that. Brian Dable made the decision. He said earlier in the week, after the, I listened to him in the, in the post-game presser, he said, I talked with Kenny about this early in the week. He was a professional. He um he was good about it. I tweeted something earlier. Brian Ryan Dunleavy tweeted out something about, I quote tweet, I should say, about how like Galladay cleaned out his locker. But then I saw later that Julian Love said, I had two at that point. He said, this doesn't mean anything. So just take that with a grain of, or take, you know, take that in in case people were judging it on that. But Dable, according to him at least, Galladay took it in stride. And he made the decision to, despite the fact that this dude is making $72 million and was literally just signed less than what at this point? 15 months ago, or maybe a little more than 15 months ago, he was literally signed to be the focal point of the passing game. The big play receiver, the guy who the ball gets to, designed plenty of plays in the red zone, down the field, whatever, whatever. And he benched him. He literally benched this dude for what he didn't say, but it's pretty obviously a poor performance in week one, at least that he felt, or at least he's trying things out and trying to see if maybe David Sills gives them a better chance to win. Whatever it may be, I defend the decision, Nick, because I think it breeds something it's not look it's not going to be good for Galladay he's not going to I'm sure regardless of what's said Nick it's not going to be good for Galladay right now he's not going to be walking around loving the culture buying into everything he's a human being dude he wants to play football he wants to make plays he wants to still prove to people that he can be the receiver that he was at one point in his career so he's not going to be happy about this but as far as for the Giants maybe it is better for them at this point and if that's the case I commend Dable for stepping in and being like dude the best players are going to play here People give us a chance to win. The money, the contract situation, it's not what's f- first and foremost on my mind. It's what you want in a coach. You want a coach who's going to feel the freaking football team who gives you the best chance to win a football game. And it's not all about the politics of money or anything like that. And Dable just proved that, dude. Kenny Galladay played, I think it was like two snaps, man. Like that is insane when you yeah. think about it. What, Dan, what were the odds if someone were to tell you, first off, that the Giants were 2-0 and after two weeks, but in week two, with no injuries, that David Sills and Richie James yeah. are the players basically yeah. playing the most snaps. And Seriously, what, no, despite it. Exactly. What are the odds of that? It's crazy. It really it's, is. It's insane. Darius Slayton. I don't think he's really out there. I know he was dressed. I don't. I didn't see him do anything. He didn't have any catches or anything. Kenny Galladay's barely playing. Kadarius Tony got out there more, played more than seven snaps. You'll love to see that. Hopefully, his role grows. But you got Richie James and David Sills with Sterling Shepard out there balling right now. And I know they're not, you know, throwing for three hundred yards or four hundred yards or anything like that. But they're still out there making the plays and trying to get open. And that's who Brian Dable trusts the most. David Sills and Richie James says something about these guys that they went and signed. And the fact that David Sills is still here, like nobody thought David Sills was going to have an impact. Like I know I didn't. And look at this, man. I think it's, I think it's a wild situation. I think it's cool. I think it deviates from what normal coaches do and I'm all about it. Yeah, same. Exactly. We don't have to do the, you don't have to do things exactly the same as every other coach. That's not the best in general in life. Zigging when people zag is a good strategy in most games. Just think about all the games you play, fantasy, football, whatever it may be. When you do something differently than everyone else is doing, it can give you an advantage. And so I love it. I want to talk a little bit about the Giants' third down defense. This probably is something we can talk more about in the All-22 podcast, breaking down the defense. So we'll have a little bit more information and data at that point and film to base it on. But there is something brewing here with the Giants on third down because They've been just insanely good on these third in these third down situations. The Panthers were two for twelve today on third downs. The Titans were three for eleven on third downs. That's three of the twenty-three third down situations. It's an insanely low number for an offense to convert. It's an insanely high number for a defense to get off the field on. And quite frankly, a lot of these haven't been like third and tens, third and twelves, third and eighteens, where they're insanely back up. There's been a ton of third and short stops by this Giants defense. What do you make of this? Is it wink? Is it what what's going on here? What's allowing the Giants to be one of the stingiest third down defenses so far? I think it's wink, and I think it's also the personnel. I think it's players like Xavier McKinney. I think it's the fact that Xavier McKinney can do 
anything you ask him to. You want him to blitz? He could do that. You want him to man cover Christian McCaffrey? He's proved that he can do that. Want him to drop into a deep half? He could do it. You want him to play single high middle of the field closed? He can do it. So now you're a quarterback. You're an offense. You're like, okay, well, I don't really know what he's going to be doing because he can do really anything. And you have another Swiss Army knife named Julian Love who can do anything. It's the pre-snap alignments. It's the post-snap movement. On that third and sixth play that we broke down, you had Jahad Ward drop off the line of scrimmage and drop underneath the number three. And then you had both Oshane Zimenez and Darnay Holmes to the field side drop underneath the number two with another one kind of airing towards the number three. So now you have four defenders to three receivers on that side of the field. You don't think Baker Mayfield, who doesn't know who's coming until the snap happens, is processing what the heck is going on. Because if you remember on the first drive or the first couple drives for Carolina, Dan, Baker Mayfield was carving up what Wink Martindale was trying to do because Wink Martindale, a lot of the times, he'll send somebody and then he'll drop the safety from depth, like 15 yards depth to try to man cover somebody. Baker Mayfield was catching on to that. But Wink Martindale stopped doing that, it seemed like, in the second half. And he was doing different things, loading up the line of scrimmage, dropping guys off from them to undercut so you have better leverage to get underneath the route rather than coming down from depth. And it seemed to confuse or just make Baker Mayfield hesitate a little bit. And the fact that the protection wasn't all squared away really assisted the Giants in getting home. So I would attribute it to coaching and I would attribute it to the key personnel that the New York Giants have, specifically those safeties. I really think Dane Belton, who we saw and I thought he looked good out there, Xavier McKinney and Julian Love are going to be very, very exciting. And you throw Tony Jefferson into it as well, man, that veteran type of leadership really knows this system. I think that foursome of, of safeties is going to be great for this Giants defense. And I love to hear that, Nick, because safety is a position that I always value higher than most. I think they can play a key role in a defense from a schematic standpoint when you have good safeties back there. And I think, you know, I thought this on the broadcast view. I'm excited to actually see the All-22, so I'll get a better feel for it. But I felt like Julian Love had a really good game out there just from, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, just an eye testing, right? Like it just like you don't <laughs> see it in the box score too much or anything with the exception of obviously the big play he made. But you don't see it. It's one of those things, I think, when we watch the film, we're like, yeah, Julian Love. And that's a great sign to me, because like you said, if they can get that kind of play to Julian Love on a consistent basis, now they really can make up, in my opinion, and mask some of the deficiencies that they have elsewhere on a defense like cornerback two or like. You know some of these linebacker positions that ultimately don't even play that many snaps. A lot. Of I'm the very time. interested in that, yeah. by the way, Dan. Like, <laughs> yeah. how many how many snaps did they play? Because I saw play a lot linebackers of, at all. It felt like in this game. I felt, I saw a lot of Belton. I saw a lot of Jefferson out there, and you know, Love and McKinney are out there almost every snap. So they're just, I, they're just saying F it to the linebacker position right now. They all fall linebacker I, position. I think it's game plan specific. I yeah, think they looked at Christian. Mc- Christian McCaffrey's more of an athlete than he is a power back. So they wanted to match speed with speed. And it definitely worked, man. Like, dude, I can't wait to see the all 22 of Xavier McKinney, even on those quick routes to Christian McCaffrey. Cause on the broadcast, you can kind of see it. It's like right when the snap happened, Xavier McKinney was just glued to McCaffrey. There wasn't a lot of space for him. So maybe McAdoo had a big game plan for McCaffrey, but it got shut down so well by Xavier McKinney that he just couldn't really couldn't improvise, which kind of checks out a little bit when it comes to Ben McAdoo. It's kind of weird, man. Like you have DJ Moore. DJ Moore showed up for one drive and then just like, all right, I'm done. Like, why didn't they (laughs) utilize him more? (laughs) I don't know. Dude, we'll see it on the tape this week. But my estimation and my guess now to any of these questions is Ben Mack. My answer would be Ben Mack. He's just a very bad offensive coordinator. It's okay. It's okay. Look, it's not even like they have the McAdoo McCarthy. They just try to win with quick game and like one on ones. It just, there's no scheme. I just feel like there wasn't much scheming ever from McAdoo that I remember from his Giants days. I know everyone's like he coordinated a good offense with Eli in 2014 and 2015. I think he did a good job to fix Eli's footwork in the pocket from the shotgun. That was a key change he made. I think he's actually a pretty good quarterback type coach. Um, like just in training and helping the quarterbacks with his coaching. But most of that season was just o- Eli and Odell being awesome. Like at that point, Eli was still ripping the football in 2014 and 2015. And he was ripping with confidence because he wasn't too far removed from the Kevin Gilbride offense that allowed him to rip with confidence. Obviously, things changed once he got stuck in the McAdoo offense. It was like fool's gold, essentially. Eli got better at beginning and then much worse from being in the system too long. Because as you saw today, there's just not enough scheming in this system. There's too much win with quick game, win against these one-on-ones. And eventually, you can't just win with quick game in the NFL. Like You can't, you can't just expect one-on-one wins in quick game. It doesn't work out. You need to have the plays that you went over, Nick, earlier for Kafka, where you can scheme production. You can scheme receivers open with all the nuances that you made from that play. Richie James coming into motion there at the end. Kenny Galladay with the deep post. Uh, you know, Just everything there. This, using Bellinger to sniff and then leaking him out and forcing the defense to decide if they want to go Jones or Bellinger. And that's just one play. Uh, so, yeah, overall, I felt like 
it really was interesting to see one, Wink Martindale match speed with speed, which was an excellent point you made. And two, decide that, look, it's going to take me away from doing some of the things I want to do in McKinney. There's so many things you can do in McKinney. There's fun things. You can drop him in the deep half. You can have him play under. There's plenty of things as a blitzer. But he's like, where I need him most is to take away Christian McCaffrey in the passing game. And once he took him away, like you said, DJ Moore was there for a little bit. But ultimately, not a lot of the game. Go ahead. It also allows it also allows you to go up on the line of scrimmage too, and you could put him around the line of scrimmage. You can blitz him when you want. Like like I said before, how that how when he blitzed, Christian McCaffrey flared out to take him, opening up a vulnerability on the other side of the line of scrimmage. So it just allowed you to maximize what Xavier McKinney can do because he's probably your. I mean, he's a top three player on this defense, I'd say. But you just as an offensive coordinator, you need to be able to make adjustments, and that's something yeah. we've seen. From Kafka, we yeah. we didn't really see that too much. We saw a little bit in halftime adjustment in terms of what they did in the second half with DJ Moore, and then they just went away from it. And I'm wondering how much Adore Jackson saw more because just in the little bit that you can see from a cornerback, it's a little bit difficult. It just seems like Adore Jackson's always in position, man. He oh, had yeah. the one penalty, I get it, but like I just always feel like even on like small little smash concepts or cuts like that, even like little rub routes where it's designed to just rub the cornerback to, to get a free release. I just feel like a Dory Jackson finds a way to maneuver around the traffic and get in position. Like I'm excited to get into the, the film just on how he performed. Because if he keeps mounting these like really, really impressive performances, he might end up being like a top 10, top 15 cornerback, which isn't something I thought I would say going into this season. I like Adore Jackson, but I never really thought of him as a true 1A, like an alpha type of dog. But if he keeps playing the way he is, and he's had two matchups that have been relatively easy, not DJ Moore, but just Baker Mayfield, DJ Moore in general. So, you know, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. But if he consistently does that against top competition, man, I'm very excited. He's still a young player, too. He's not even old. He's still in his mid-20s. And that's the key there. And I I don't want to say I didn't think it was going to happen because I made it as my bold prediction, but it was still a bold prediction that he'd be top 10. I, all these bold predictions, we don't expect them all to come true. And it's still, like you said, has a long way to go. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But one thing that's important to keep in mind is this. Like the Giants, when they signed him from Tennessee, he had some really, really good film and really, really good numbers, advanced analytics to back up that he was really good man coverage cornerback. He didn't play in a system over there with Tennessee that maximized his skill set. The Giants didn't know they were going to have Wink Martindale this year, but now it's certainly seeming to work out great for this Adoree Jackson scoop up in free agency because he fits the system, in my opinion, perfectly. He's bought in completely. He's playing excellent in run support. He's got juice out there at all times. He breaks on balls. If he stays healthy, like you said, given his age, he can actually be a really good asset. You want to typically find rookies to re-sign to these deals and to you know keep under your team for a while because, you, because the age, obviously, and injuries and things like that. And, you know, they're fresher. There's a shelf life for every NFL position and player. But Adoree's still at an age where they can potentially look to, like, keep him on as a solution for this team as they move forward, you know, trying to build this winning roster out. So that's also exciting to me as well moving forward with this team. A lot of things to be excited about on the defensive side of the ball, without a doubt. I want to bring up a take here that I just thought was so spot on by Giants Daily on Twitter, Nick. It's uh, Weiss. Actually, we actually met him at FanFest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, shout out to Weiss. Very good dude. Sat and watched the game. He said, the Giants have found a way to win a game where they average 3.88 yards per play. Just think about how low that is. 3.88. It's almost as low as it gets. He said, suboptimal quarterback play. Again, I, I feel like Jones was okay in this game, and, and we'll see it on the tape. But it definitely wasn't unbelievable, whatever. And their best, and this is the key to me, their best player completely shut out of the game. And that's what happened with Saquon Barkley. They made a testament. They're going to take him out. Completely shut out of the game. Defense filled with young and inexperienced players, and they won. They won that game. Like that, you shouldn't win games like that when you don't produce that anything really on offense from a per play basis. And you know you have all these injuries on defense. That's typically not a recipe for winning games, and they did it. And you're gifted the ball twice on your side of the field to start the game at home. Like there were a lot of things working in the Giants. The Giants are fortunate to win this football game. And that doesn't mean that they didn't deserve to win because Carolina isn't really the best of opponents. But this could have easily went the other direction. And I say that while also acknowledging that this could have been a Giants blowout if they were actually efficient on offense, which they really weren't to start this game. It was really a couple drives in the second half where Daniel Jones stepped up, made that key third and nine throw to James, that third and 10 throw to Sills to, to set up set up a scoring drive. And then you have the Dan- Daniel Bellinger touchdown as well. But Saquon Barkley was completely shut down. Daniel Jones, again, like might not have had the best game, 
but they still found a way to win. And that's not something like we said throughout this entire podcast that they would have figured out in previous years. I just don't think they would have. They would have found a way to shoot themselves in the foot. Dexter Lawrence would have jumped off sides on a field goal. Whatever would have happened. Something would have happened to to blow it up, but not under Dable and Shane. Yeah, exactly. And they didn't put, I thought they did a good job. People will disagree or argue with this, maybe. I don't know. I thought they did a good job of not putting Jones in, and and I'll include the uh, interior offensive line because let's be honest, the interior offensive line is going to be an issue for the Giants in year one mm-hmm. of the Shane Dable rebuild. They couldn't fix everything in, in all in one offseason. They really shouldn't have been expected to. I don't think anyone does expect them to. We certainly don't. They maybe you know we like the upgrade they made at right guard, but they still got work to do in pass protection with the left guard situation and with the center situation. There's it's going to be an issue, and I felt like. They adjusted to that. They didn't put Daniel Jones in position to maybe turn the ball over toward the end of that game where it could have been a game-losing turnover, which in the past we have seen some of those plays happen to the Giants. Um, So I thought great adjustment there as well, just to go back to the coaching here. A lot of good things to talk about from the coaching standpoint. We'll get to more of these on the way out as we go. But one more thing before we get out, though. No, there's a few more things we got to hit. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I want to see if you're going to bring it up, though. Well, because we have to talk about Graham Gano. Ah, there we go, man. I was going to say, I mean, like, look, when you have a kicker who plays a role like he did in this game, he deserves to be talked about because Graham Gano hit massive kicks in this game. Dude, like crazy stuff that you don't often like you should not be expected to hit a 56 yarder. If you hit a 56 yarder, that's a really good thing. You should not be expected to hit two 50 plus yard bombs in a game. And Graham Gano did that. He hit a 51, he hit a 56, he hit a 33 and a 36, four field goals on the day. Did not miss an extra point when he was given an opportunity to kick an extra point on the one touchdown. And just straight down the middle, these bombs just go straight down the middle. They look super clean off his foot and just pretty much never make me wonder. I mean, look, some of these kicks, the longer ones, they didn't have unreal distance on them, but they were perfectly placed and they had enough distance both times. Clearly, like we weren't like doinked over the crossbar bounce right in. They had decent, in, uh, you know, distance and just awesome game by him. It was an amazing game by Graham Gano. That's the person that I wanted to bring up. Four for four, man, 56 long. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and go through the anatomy of how to kick a football because I'm not 100% certain in terms of the X's and O's. Just make the damn kick, and he made the damn kick in huge situations, and he's a big reason why the Giants won. Look, I guarantee the Tennessee Titans wish they had Graham Gano at the end of the game week one, right? So kickers do matter, okay? They do matter, and Graham Gano is one of the better ones in the league. I'm glad he's here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's see. Is there anything else we want? I, well, there's definitely one more thing I wanted to get to. I'm trying to think of now. Um, well, we could talk about the Cowboys-Giants game next week. We want to do a small preview there. But we, we could do that later this week. But I will say this. I thought it was an interesting uh, – my my cousin pointed out, shout out Brian Deutschmeister, that it's actually better for – it might be better for the Giants the Cowboys won that surprising game against the Bengals because now the Cowboys will be a little less desperate for this Monday Night Football game. And also, if they're going to win any game, the Bengals is a good game for them to win because it doesn't impact the tiebreaker scenario. So just something to think about. Now we're seeing rumors that the Cowboys might actually somehow have Dak Prescott back for this game. To be completely honest, I don't care about saying it. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I want to beat the best players. Nope, I'm not one of them. I want Cooper Rush to play this game. I don't care. I'm not trying to get care. I don't need, oh, Giants, good. it's better if they beat Dak. No, no, just get me the wins. So I'm hoping that he, he waits another week, and I doubt he's going to be back in this one, but we'll see. That sounds very glass half full. Yes, and it was and Jerry a, Jones, I think, who's this rumor is yeah. like emanating from him. I'm not a doctor, but neither is Jerry Jones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the key. All right. There's still some stuff we wanted to hit. We were, we're not going to hit everything every time. But look, this is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. We're recording after a win. We're super excited again. We can't wait to dive into the film like we did last week. Two big podcasts coming on the offense and break, uh, defensive breakdown. We're going to have a Cowboys guest on. I don't know who yet. I'm going to start looking for a Cowboys guest. That'll be fun. I like doing the previews now that these games matter. The Giants are 2-0. Every game matters from this point on, unless things start to break bad. But I don't think they will. So definitely excited for that. More coming your way this week, anything we think of. But thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy the podcast, please make sure you download. Please make sure you leave a rating and review. Maybe a mailbag this week too, Nick. I want to do a mailbag, so we'll talk Ooh. about that as well. Yeah, let's get back to the mailbag days. So anyway, have a great rest of your week. 2-0 Giants, freaking awesome, man. Big game this Monday night. I'm going to be at it for a 2-0 Giants game. Home Monday night against the Cowboys. I can you got a press pass? Season. No, I'm actually going in, in the family seats with my brother. So um, oh, I'll do nice, a press pass man. now, which the Giants reached out about, which is exciting for some future games if work will allow for it. But for now, just going as a fan in our seats, which I'm excited to be back in because I know some people in the section 
We're going to get off on third downs. I am a lunatic at live games. I still have that in. I wonder if I still have that in me. I'm going to find out. My brother's. My brother likes to tone it down at times. I'm a crazy person sometimes in these games. We'll see if it's still there. Man. I'm excited to see that. But anyway, you have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.